Welcome to SBC This Week. I'm Brandon Porter. Laura Erlinson is here with me. Laura, you are wearing a mighty big jacket to be indoors. <laughs> well, you will be glad that I'm not wearing my gator snuggie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do have one, but I did not wear it for this Zoom call for you. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it is... Um, we're to the point that we're wearing layers indoors these That's days. Right. It is so That's cold right. outside. You just can't get it warm enough. Yeah, it's very chilly. And my kids are a little stir crazy. Yeah. They've been home all week. I'm a little stir crazy, truth be told. I like being home, but even I'm ready to go out and see people besides my family. Yeah, it was a big, big snow across uh, much of Tennessee, specifically Middle Tennessee. Um, heavy snow this last week. Yeah, but we have had a great time. I mean, we have been sledding, we've made snow cream, we've built a snowman. We've done all the things and it's been great. I've loved being home. Mm -hmm. It has been a fun week, but I tell you the cold has not been fun. The snow is pretty and fun to play in, but the cold is no joke. That's true. And churches, we actually had a story yesterday's BP. We're recording this on Friday. Mm -hmm. um, yesterday, Thursday, BP, we had a story about churches that are helping in that regard, that are yeah. opening their doors as warming centers and allowing their community, especially the home, homeless population, to have a warm place to to spend some time. Um, specifically, at Cornerstone Baptist Church, Pastors Chris Simmons there, a few years ago, they had a homeless man uh, die, uh, literally yeah. froze to death, um, not very far at all from the church. And that was just a turning point, I would say, for that church. They said yeah. that they decided that they would do something about that. And so they have been, this week, have been caring for people, allowing people in their sanctuary and in their other places in their church mm -hmm. uh, as the cold has just gripped most of the country, really, for about a week now. Yeah. It's just relentless. Yeah, and that church, Cornerstone Church, it's in Dallas. And um, that was really, uh, that really kind of pricked me a little bit because I, I talked about Dallas last week in the podcast about warm, sunny Dallas. And yeah. Um, and so, you know, to, to know that the cold has uh, spread down that far to the south. Um, so we're, we're thankful for Cornerstone Church there in Dallas and, and for so many other churches, you know, um, in the story this week, we talked to First Southern Church in Salinas, Kansas, where the temperatures have been as low as 25 degrees below zero this week. Mm. Um, no at, well, the wind chill, I should say, not necessarily temperatures, but the wind chill has been that low. Um, and the pastor there talked about how they see this as an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ to those in the community who are uh, really struggling because of the cold. And mm -hmm. and it has just been a bitter chill. At least 37 people have been killed nationwide um, because of the the cold temperatures. So so we're thankful that, that um, churches are taking that seriously and are caring for folks in their communities. Um, I tell you what, Laura, today on Friday, um, also where it was cold was in Washington, D.C., as folks um, either participated in, we watched from a distance, mm -hmm. but but lots of folks participated in the March for Life rally that was happening there um, in, in D.C., and the snow was just coming down. It really was. It was coming down outside my window, and as I watched the March for <laughs> Life on my laptop screen, mm -hmm. And yeah, thousands and thousands of people braved those really cold temperatures and and pretty heavy snow there for a little while uh, for the March for Life, both the rally and the actual march itself. And I watched the rally and it was always, as always, very inspiring and just fun to watch. So I would encourage you to do that. Baptist Press has a couple of stories in today, today's mm -hmm. issue about the rally. 
speakers included uh, our fairly new uh, Southern Baptist U.S. Speaker of the House, Mike mm-hmm. Johnson. He uh, gave a really great uh, five-minute or so speech about maybe the kind of the underlying principles of the of the sanctity of life movement and how our even our nation's founding documents call the the right to life an unalienable right that's not endowed by your government but endowed by God himself and mm-hmm. so just an inspiring uh talk from him and uh of course our ERLC staff was was highly represented at the march several of our staff members including ERLC president Brent Leatherwood attended the march um, another notable Southern Baptist that I saw on the platform was uh, Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Greg Laurie, uh, the Southern Baptist pastor out in Southern California, uh, was there. He braved the snow, that uh, native Californian braved the the, the <laughs> temperatures and shared the gospel. And uh, it was just really encouraging uh, to hear him really share the gospel in front of all those thousands of people and uh, even lead in a prayer of salvation there. And um, like I said, ERLC had some folks there. Uh, Julie Masson, who's the director of communications at ERLC, said it was her fourth time participating in the March for Life. And this year, her teenage daughter attended with her. And she said it was very neat to see the march through her eyes. And he said it's all, she said it's always a good opportunity for ERLC to communicate their commitment to advocating for the most vulnerable among us. And then uh, Hannah Daniel, who's the public policy director at ERLC, said that March for Life is an opportunity for the pro-life movement to come together and refocus our efforts on the goal, which Mm -hmm. is saving lives. Mm -hmm. And the March uh, theme this year was with every woman for every child, which I thought was a pretty poignant uh, theme because it's not just about saving the babies, but it's about helping the mother through that and even after the baby is born and helping her enter into motherhood and and know that they they said several times throughout the the rally that a woman just needs to hear you got this you mm-hmm. can do this like all mm-hmm. sometimes that's really all she needs is somebody that believes that she can do it and so um pretty inspiring and fun thing to watch today yeah very good we've had some inspiring stories all week long when it comes to the sanctity of human life that sunday obviously coming up this sunday um and and we've tried to include a, a number of stories throughout the week um, that have focused on that and um, comments like that, Laura, throughout those stories of of encouragement to women and how pregnancy support centers are coming alongside of them. And I know there was a story from Grace Thornton and the Alabama Baptist that, that we were thankful to be able to use this week. And um, that story talked about how it not only affects folks living in this generation, but in the generations to come. That's right. Uh, they said the number today at the rally that 62 million people don't exist now that would exist uh, had had there been no abortion. But you think that's 62 million abortions, but how many more people would that be mm-hmm. if those peop- if those babies had lived and ha- went on to have their own babies? And so it's more than 62 million. It affects not just this generation, but all future generations. And uh, I love that story from Grace Norton in Alabama that uh, this pregnancy care counselor was herself adopted, and she has mm. become an advocate for the sanctity of life and for adoption. And her story is just powerful about how even before she was born, God answered the prayer of her biological family member who prayed for her. 
and just how miraculously those prayers were answered. I would just encourage everybody to go read that story. It's really neat and encouraging. Yeah. And we had another great story from North Carolina today about, uh -huh. a, or uh, this week, I should say, about uh, pregnancy care centers and just how heroic their efforts are in the yeah. pro-life movement. And so a lot of good stuff in BP. And then more of on the legislative side of things, um, we had a good story from Diana Chandler this week mm -hmm. uh, about pro-life legislation in the states because that's where the game is now. Now that Ro Roe v. Wade is gone, uh, it all happens at the state level. Yeah. Yeah. So Diana looked at the work of Southern Baptists in South Carolina and Illinois as those states are wrestling with life-related public policy. Um, Illinois specifically, it's surrounded by states with pro-life protections. Uh, they say they've become sort of an abortion hub there in the last six months of 2022 after Roe versus Wade was overturned. 17,000 women from 40 states came to Illinois for, for abortions. That's according to the Illinois Department of Health and uh, Planned Parenthood. It's nearly a 50% increase in abortions in the state over the previous year, um, they said there. And so the Illinois Baptist State Convention our state association is working with Alliance Defending Freedom to inform churches of pertinent laws and, and offers churches opportunities to protect life by supporting pregnancy care centers and related ministries. Um, that's countering 26 businesses providing abortions um, in the state. There are 97 pregnancy care centers there. And so you, you see that, that there's great opportunity to make impact mm -hmm. there. But, but other states really are weighing in to the state of Illinois. And so so the ERLC has been working with state conventions, obviously Illinois, South Carolina, as we mentioned in that story, uh, but then also other states across the country um, as they uh, deal with this this issue on a state level like you just like you just mm -hmm. talked about, Laura. So I tell you what, another issue that, that uh, folks across the U.S. are dealing with is uh, immigration as the number of folks crossing our borders is on the increase. And Send Relief is doing something uh, to, to be proactive in not only to, to share the gospel, but also to, to care for those who are coming to the U.S. Yeah, this was an exciting story uh, this week. I felt like um, maybe this needs to be on everybody's radar that uh, of course, you may remember uh, just if not that long ago, if you, within the last few years, we um, the two mission boards, both the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board, established Send Relief, which was sort of a mm -hmm. joint effort of those two entities uh, to do disaster relief and other um, more hands-on type ministry uh, in the U.S. and around the world. And um, now they have joined together in something called the Diaspora Missions Collective, mm -hmm. which is those two entities plus, this, plus uh, the SBC seminaries, state conventions, associations, the WMU. Um, and they're all going to work together to more strategically reach the nations that are among us, that are right mm -hmm. here. Um, and I feel like this is sort of hand in hand with the uh, IMB initiative, the the Project Three Thousand that we've that we've written about and seen in the last few weeks, where they're really pressing hard to reach these last three thousand unengaged, unreached people groups, and this maybe is is part of that. In that, some of those people groups have representatives even here in the states, and we could reach them here, mm -hmm. and then they uh, and then make inroads into them around the world, and uh, just in general, just reaching our neighbors people that how do how do we do that strategically how do we mm -hmm. uh how do we understand them culturally or how do we 
understand them, uh, what their what maybe their religion is or what uh, their views are, and how how can we befriend them? And and uh, so it's really exciting uh, and seems like a little almost uh, groundbreaking effort here. And so I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, yeah. That's in that story. I was really struck by it. Just kept going back to the training. Training mm-hmm. is key. That's and, right. Uh, John Barnett said they're working to produce resources that will help ministry partners, help churches. Um, so this this one hits kind of home. Uh, John and I served together at the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Oh yeah. Um, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So I I left to come to the Baptist Press in the EC, and he he left not too long after that to go to Send Relief, and uh, the Lord's given him a great opportunity to do that. But then it even hits home as um as my my wife is an ESL teacher um in our local school system and um I tell you it like that that's just the truth it's always learning 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 um how to connect how to help how to uh communicate I mean all those kind of things and so uh, the nations really are coming here to us mm-hmm. yeah well and then so we, IMB sent us another story this week yeah yeah so so here's here's one about going it's kind of a different story but uh, the IMB helped a group of African-American Southern Baptist pastors and their wives on a tour of Central Asia uh, to see where the Bible was written. And so so on the script here, Laura, I'm going to stop because I put some of these words in just for you uh, that, that are in this next paragraph. <laughs> so, so hey, Laura, where, where did they go? Laura, where did this I, trip go? I got go? this. I am okay. not even worried about it. All right. They went to Thyatira, okay. Pergamum, Sardis, Laodicea, Smyrna, Philadelphia, and Ephesus. All How right. about that? There you go. I, I know. I know what's up. I've heard sermons from Revelation before. Yeah, <laughs> so I know those churches. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so they—that's. This sounds like a really amazing trip. First of all, to kind of walk uh, in those in the steps of the early church and the early believers, and um, into those churches where Jesus spoke to, and those and and John wrote it down there in Revelation. And the first leg of the trip focused on studying that message written that was written to these churches and then walking among where these early Christians lived. And uh, Terrence Jones, who's a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama, was uh, particularly moved by the trip. He said, it's one thing to believe the Bible and read the stories and have faith in what you're believing in. It's another thing altogether to be a part in some way of the history of it all. Mm-hmm. And uh, these were all African-American pastors who took this trip to kind of explore ways that more African-Americans can get involved in missions around the world. Mm-hmm. So pretty, uh, it was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, Thyatira is one of my favorite <laughs> words in the Bible. The <laughs> it is because to me, man, I just hear. So, so our family's originally from Georgia and I have some of that deep Georgia accent that's uh-huh. not there. And I can just hear somebody, you know, you go down to Thyatira. You just yeah, they go would to put the crossroads yeah. Thyra Tyra. Yeah. So anyway, um, I have a hard time when I'm uh, reading that or teaching or preaching that like my brain, I, I want to say it that way. I have to really work hard not to <laughs> say it that way. Anyway, sorry, that's extra. That's for free for you there. I like uh, it. Yeah. So Laura, last week we mentioned that Danny Aiken was celebrating a major milestone there at Southeastern this week, uh, realizing 20 years at the helm of the seminary. And over at Wake Forest, they kicked that off. You can read a piece from Southeastern um, about the great impact that his ministry has made and his leadership and his family um, on the Great Commission, uh, just the focus that they've had there over these 20 years at Southeastern. So the Great Commission then leads us, Laura, into a couple of very serious stories that that we've had. Uh, One of them is about persecution. 
and uh, Open Doors revealed their top 50 countries uh, where it's most dangerous for Christians. And there, there are some eye-opening stats in this story. Yeah, I was really shocked. Uh, a sevenfold increase in attacks on churches in 2023, uh, 700%, including 10,000 church closures in China. And of course, we all know we've written a lot about what's going on in Nigeria. Almost 5,000 Christians were killed in Nigeria in mm-hmm. 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a lot still to be praying about, to be just standing with our brothers and sisters around the world. Um just standing with them in prayer for what they have to go through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here in the U.S., we marked National Religious Freedom Day uh, this past week, a recognition that started back in 1993, and uh, President Biden gave that proclamation as is uh, standard for a U.S. president to do that um, based on the passage of, of that day by Congress back in the early 90s. Um, in the piece, the ERLC folks talked about the importance of religious liberty. And in that piece, Miles Mullen, who is the ERLC uh, chief of staff, said, we believe freedom of religion includes the ability to worship without the interference of the state and the ability to freely express one's religious beliefs without fear of retribution from the state and the freedom to live according to one's deepest held convictions. And so very clear, articulate uh, statement from Miles Mullen there with ERLC. Laura, Andrew Walker uh, commended uh, President Biden in, in his proclamation, but also had some pretty sharp words for him. Yeah, I think, uh, was it Reagan who said that freedom is just one generation away from extinction or something mm-hmm. along that lines? And I feel like re- religious freedom is, is no different and that we are constantly having to uh, present the case and make the case for why uh, people should be allowed to not just worship freely, but to practice their religion in all aspects of their life freely. And uh, Andrew Walker mentioned a a particular case uh, related to related to foster care mm-hmm. regulations that would try to force uh, sexual orientation and gender identity principles on foster homes and not allow uh, parents who might have uh, different thoughts on that and might not want to affirm a children a child's gender transition or something and would disallow them from being able to even uh, provide care for a child. And so he said, we would do well to move beyond mere platitudes and re-examine the stance it has taken. This He's talking about the Biden administration here, that mm-hmm. it has taken to alienate Americans of faith whose faith commitments contradict progressive orthodoxy. Religious freedom is not true religious freedom unless applied equally and consistently. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, Andrew Walker, who is an associate professor of Christian ethics and public theology at Southern Seminary um, up in Louisville. Well, Laura, the first few weeks of the year, many churches have an emphasis on prayer. And, yeah, uh, two really good stories mm-hmm. about that this week. Yeah, can be yeah, yeah, very encouraging stories. Uh, the first one is, uh, well, one of them features Kai Bowman, who is leading the prayer ministry assignment for the executive committee. Um, he had the opportunity of being part of a citywide training in Clarksville, Tennessee, where more than a dozen churches gathered to plan to pray for their city this year. Uh, Ronnie Rains, the pastor there at First Baptist Clarksville, uh, and and his staff were the ones who, who kind of steered that in that community and brought Kai Bowman in for that. And then we had a story also from Scott Barkley, and he told us about Liberty Live Church in Hamptons Road or Hampton Roads, Virginia. Yeah, they kicked off the first 21 days of January 
which I guess there's, it's still going on because we're mm-hmm. recording this on the 19th, yeah. focusing on prayer. And uh, for those three weeks, the first week, three weeks of the year, uh, corporate prayer is a constant at the church. Uh, it's every Monday through Friday, every every day, 6 to 7 a.m., and then on Saturdays at 9 a.m., and get this, between 1,000 and 1,500 people arrive daily across the church's four campuses, and 3,000 join online. Wow. So think of that. Uh, yeah. 4,000 4, or so people uh, every single day uh, praying together. Mm. Uh, it's pretty pretty impressive, and I Absolutely. imagine pretty effective. Uh, the pastor, Grant Etheridge, uh, told Baptist Press that the prayer event uh, also incorporates fasting, and he said, prayer connects us to God, and fasting disconnects us from the world. Yeah, I thought that was a great perspective, yeah, a good, great really way is. to think about that. Yeah. Well, finally, we want to share with you about um, something that happened in Oklahoma this week at First Baptist Church of Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Um, on Sunday, that church made the move to go public with details of an abuse-related case they'd been working on for the last couple of years. If you'll remember, um, just in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a Baptist Press story uh, that, that one of our reporters worked on talking about how can churches communicate with congregations. So churches obviously have the responsibility to communicate with civil authorities, but then also a need to communicate with folks in the church. And and so uh, you can find that story. Uh, but F- FBC Broken Arrow uh, put that into motion this week. And this story involves a staff member who served there more than 15 years ago. Um, and the abuse allegation only came to light back in 2021 through a social media post that the survivor made. So um, this past Sunday, church leaders laid out what they had done to address the issue what they were planning to do, and how they had been caring for the survivor. You can read the full details of that story uh, focusing on First Baptist Church Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, um, at Baptist Press. So, Laura, as we come now to our history moment, we want to circle back to the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and begin yes. to think about um, that one more time. A lot, lots at the beginning of the podcast, but, but now we want to kind of end on, on that note as well. I could not pick just one thing. So I'm mm-hmm. going to run through things, a few things real quick. So, of course, uh, as we know, Roe v. Wade happened in 1973. And you Baptist historians out there will know this. But some some of you listening might not know this. And so I, I, I think it's interesting and everybody should know this, that Baptist Press was the news outlet that revealed the identity of Jane Roe of mm. Roe Ro v. Wade. Wow. Uh, the day that <clears throat> the Supreme Court decision came down in uh, January 17th, I think, maybe, mm-hmm. 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, the day that decision came down, Baptist Press was there in uh, D.C. and had an interview with one of uh, uh, Norma McCovey's attorneys, a mm. woman named Linda Coffey, mm. who herself was a Southern Baptist. And then uh, also had an interview with McCovey, who everybody knows now as Jane Roe. Mm. And then McCovey went on to become a pretty outspoken uh, pro-life proponent and a sanctity of life proponent. But of course, this was before that. This was right after the Roe v. Wade decision came down. Mm -hmm. And Southern Baptists were not uh, actively pro-life at this point. Um, They... A lot of Southern Baptists were and believed that the fetus had an inherent... um, uh, right to life, but a lot of people just didn't know. They didn't mm-hmm. know what to think. They had never really thought about it, or they were very much uh, in favor of the right to an abortion. 
Uh, and Southern, so Southern Baptists have changed quite a bit. Uh, it, by the mid eighties, uh, things were very different. And, um, our first actual pro-life resolution at an annual meeting was 1980. And so not too long. So just in the, from 73 to 80, I feel like, uh, opinions had really begun to shift. Yeah. And then by 1988, uh, Richard Land became the president of what was then the Christian Life Commission, who mm-hmm. obviously is very pro-life. And it was it began very actively uh, promoting pro-life causes. And also in 1988, the Home Mission Board started an office uh, about uh, how to resource churches for to help women in crisis pregnancies. So really, our ministry to crisis to women in crisis pregnancies began by the the mid to late 80s. Mm-hmm. And then I came across an article that I remembered, and I was reminded again how great it is, in 2015, this week in 2015, uh, David Roach, a great reporter and also an Alabama pastor, wrote an article for Baptist Press called How Southern Baptists Became Pro-Life. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of goes through the the history that I just r- went through really fast. He, he goes a little bit deeper and really analyzes how did we get from a lot of Southern Baptists being in favor of the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 to now Southern Baptists being almost unanimously pro-life. Yeah. And uh, it's a great story by David. I was just reminded again how good it is uh, today. So I would I would encourage you to go look that story up from 2015. If you don't know the Southern Baptist history on the pro-life movement, uh, you need to know it. It's it's very interesting, and Southern Baptists have been kind of in the middle of it mm-hmm. since the beginning. Yeah, one way or the other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely uh, uh, something that would be helpful, very useful yeah. for this this particular weekend to to go absolutely to, to, to ta- even talk about it on Sanctity of Life Sunday for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. So, um, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, lots happening. Um, it has been a busy uh, January so far. Uh, lots of things coming around the corner as as work is continuing on and our entities are meeting and we'll have those stories for you soon. The executive committee meeting coming just around the corner in early February. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Lots of lots of happenings coming over these next few weeks of 2024. That's right. Very busy. And uh, as always, we didn't get a chance to even talk about everything. So there's lots, uh, lots of things, everything that we talked about today, plus lots more at baptistpress.com. Thanks for listening and stay warm out there.